Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, greetings and salutations from the great state of Alabama, in particular central uh, or north central Alabama, I guess, is where we reside. Hope everybody had a great day. A little rain where we were today, maybe a little bit more tomorrow, but it looked pretty good this afternoon. Uh, just a reminder, uh, we're going to be putting this, obviously, on our podcast. You can find that, RK Ministries podcast, wherever podcasts are available. And I encourage you, as always, to go and find it, to like it, subscribe it, and most importantly, uh, subscribe to it, and most importantly, share it with other people so we can increase the audience and uh, continue to share the truth of God's Word with a wider spectrum of people. And we'll be putting it up on YouTube and on Rumble and uh, and flirting with the idea of going to do some things with uh, Odyssey. But I got to do some more research on that as well, just in case uh, YouTube kicks us off by some of the things that we say. And Facebook may not even allow this to remain on there. Depends. Right now, there's... <clears throat> My audi- the audience we have, I don't think, is is quite big enough for Facebook to take notice of, of us. But hopefully, we will we will continue to grow and increase that. So that uh, not just so Facebook will take notice, but so that more people can hear this truth and we can impact more people for the kingdom, kingdom of God. So today on uh, the- theology Thursday, I thought we'd talk about several. Uh, issues uh one andy stanley struck again and uh really it's a one uh, topic that we dealt with already last week so we won't go a deep dive into it just wanted to share with you how um prescient the issue was that we talked about last week as it relates to uh, again andy stanley's um continued um degradation if you will and his resentment for the the truth and um infallibility of god's word and we'll see that and again anybody who's under his influence i mean has has a mega church with multiple campuses in georgia so anybody under the influence of that that they need they need to 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 run find somewhere else to be and go because this is a slippery slope that con- it's just been going on for a while, but it continues. Then I thought we'd talk a little bit more about uh, some transgender issues, a new book that is coming out that I thought we needed to uh, make you aware of, and then just in general how we deal with this issue. And then the, the final thing, hey, uh, the FBI and Catholics. Uh, what, why, why, why are, is the FBI targeting uh, Catholics? So we'll talk about those issues. So we'll begin again with Andy Stanley, and I, I don't have the video. It is running the gamut on on Twitter, a clip from a sermon that he has preached recently. <clears throat> and again, it deals with the topic of evolution and theism. And uh, a week ago, I think we dealt with the issue or answered the question, can a Christian, or it was put this way, can a person believe in evolution and believe in God? And I think the underlying idea of the question is, can a person be a Christian and believe in evolution? If you want to put it in another in another way. And my uh, my conclusion to that, or answer to that question is, 
Yes, people can believe in evolution and still believe in God, and people can be a Christian and hold on to a view of evolution, but it is biblically inconsistent, and it is uh, contrary to biblical theology. So you're going to be inconsistent in your theology and understanding of Scripture if you hold that view. I don't think you can... If you want to be a biblically, theologically consistent Christian, you cannot... You cannot hold on to the the concept of evolution as it relates to creation because it, it contradicts what the scripture says, not just in Genesis, but later on, as we talked about last time. But uh, anyway, we'll hear a couple more of those pass a couple of those patches passages again as we go through this. But I'm just going to read to you some of the highlights of what was said in the clip that uh, is running the gamut on Twitter as it relates to Andy standing in this sermon. So he begins this sermon and on his TV screen behind him in uh, the sermon, he has this statement on the screen, which he, he reads out from his notes. It says, there is no necessary conflict between evolution and theism. And now his, his point that he is making is that Evolution is a means, and so it is not inconsistent to think, and this is me reading between the lines, it's not inconsistent for one to think that God used the means of evolution to uh, accommodate creation. And theism, he says, is, that is saying or teaching that there was an agent. So, again, the implication is that there's nothing inconsistent for a person to say that God is the agent of creation and he could have used the means of evolution. Now he goes on to say, and I think in that, in that, uh, clip, he goes on to, to make the, the implication that he believes that evolution is the way that God, uh, created, uh, the earth and everything that is around us by the things that he says. And so, he, he makes this statement in that video, which I think is, is pressing to the point I just made to what his conclusion is, I believe. He says that the point of Genesis, uh, the Genesis account, is not necessarily how uh, God created. The point of Genesis is more important, or the more important point of Genesis is that God created. And to some degree, I, I agree with that statement because the point of Genesis chapter one and verse chapter two is that God is the creator. There's one true and living God who did create all things that we see before us today. But as we contended last time, last week, when we were talking about this issue of uh, evolution creation idea, that God makes it very plain in scripture, I think, that he, in fact, created the way he said he created in Genesis chapter one in six days. And, you know, we talked about uh, that. And again, I'll read you a passage in a minute that verifies that idea. But it's Andy Stanley's contention, and this is one of his arguments that, Again, I believe he's saying that evolution is God's means of creating, and one of the proofs or evidences, evidence that he gives for that is that, hey, Genesis is not about how God did it, it's about who did it, uh, and that is God did it, and he could have used the means of evolution to, to do it. And then he makes a statement about the 
ancient uh, Israelites uh, and really denigrates their uh, mental capacity to understand what God uh, done in creation. So he gave them something they could understand in their in their mental ability. And so he equates that to parents and children when our child, you know, who may be, you know, six or seven, ask us where babies come from. Well, we don't give them the, the, the complete details of where they come from. We answer the question to the limit of their ability to understand and to guard their innocence, right? And so the older they get, the more uh, in detail that answer becomes. And so he's equating these Hebrew people with having not having the mental capacity of, of we 21st century people because we're so much more enlightened uh, to Today than they, those uh, slave-minded uh, Israelites were in, in back in their day. They, they couldn't comprehend the things that we can comprehend today, says those who um, celebrate uh, everything that is contra- contrary to biology and science uh, today. That, that's, you know us having the the hubris to think that we are so much smarter just because we have more information doesn't necessarily mean we are more we are any more uh knowledgeable or intelligent than they were in those days i think it's ken ham who has one post on twitter that deals with uh, this video and one of his statements is hey uh, humanity has been intelligent from the very beginning Uh, if you think about it adam had a perfect mind uh, because he was created perfectly so he would be perfectly intelligent Uh, and i think that uh all we have to do is just peruse history for a bit. And sometimes I even think when you think about those slave Jews and the, the Egyptians uh, in building of the pyramids, and I get it, nowadays people think aliens built the, the pyramids, but hey, whatever. Um, scripture teaches us, I believe, that uh, the, the Hebrews were the slave uh, laborers who facilitated the building of those pyramids under the uh, instruction of the Egyptians. But it seems to me they were pretty pretty ingenious on how they figured out how to do some of those things without all the modern tools and technology that we have today. And it seems to me sometimes that our generation, the more it goes on, the more unintelligent some of us uh, become. But anyway, here's the statement that he made. God, uh, God accommodates to our capacity. It says, what was, what was the capacity? This is his statement. What was the capacity of the ancient, uh, ancient, ancient slave culture Hebrews? Uh, is there any way that in the world, uh, is there any way in the world God could have explained to, uh, I can't even read my own writing, to them how he did it? And his answer is no. Well, how presumptuous of us to think that God would give a revelation to a group of people with the understanding that they would never understand, they could never fully understand what it was that God had done or was trying to say to them. It is only we in the 21st century now more enlightened that can truly understand what uh, God was saying uh, to them in that day. What, kind, what, what level of hubris is that to us? And again, I, I think sometimes uh, we overestimate our understanding of things in our day. 
I believe that God gave them a revelation that they could understand, and it is the revelation that he intended for them to understand that he created this world in six days, not billions of years ago, but thousands of years ago. And again, we talked about this issue in the last podcast we had uh, on um, uh, evolution versus creationism, if you will. Can you believe in evolution and believe in God? And again, the statement I made was you can say that you believe in evolution and believe in God, but you're going to be biblically in, uh, inconsistent. Your theology is not going to be in congruence with the theology of, of the Bible as it relates to God and creation. And even more than that, if you really press the issue, and we didn't get into it last week, we really won't get into it detail this week. Maybe we need to get into this, but I would refer you to uh, Ken Ham, and you remember the little man was trying to find that name last week, uh, uh, Kent Hovind. Kent Hovind. Now, I don't agree with everything Kent Hovind has to say, especially about King James only-ism, but Kent Hovind makes some very good arguments over the years. Uh, as it relates to creationism versus uh, evolution. And you need to go find him on drdino.com uh, and you can, you'll can you find a plethora of information dealing with those issues. But if you press that issue, evolution is really based in secular humanism and it is anti-God uh, and anti-Christianity and anti-religion. Uh, and so, again, another reason why you and I as believers have a responsibility to educate our children. And when I talk about educate our children, I'm not just talking about in religious matters. I think we are recalled to be the spirit heads in uh, controlling the education of our children and my personal opinion is that you ought to homeschool your children and listen people use the excuse all the time hey you don't have a college degree uh, and you know you're not certified to do those things but let me tell you what these degrees that these teachers are getting today in the in the in the public uh, run of schools that they are getting them today is a whole lot less about uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and it's a whole lot more about intersectionality and uh, uh, critical race theory uh, and equality or equity and, and all of those kinds of things than it is about teaching children uh, the basic things they need to be able to learn and understand in order for them to continue to learn and grow as as adults so it, it in our education system today uh, that is run by the federal government our education system is an indoctrination cent center for secular humanistic leftist ideology and so if you are a Christian, you need to bring your children out of that and you need to at best find a good, solid Christian school to put them in uh, or at a minimum do that. At best, you are to bring them out and take full control of your the education of your of your children. That is your responsibility. It's not the responsibility of the state. And with the resources and the technology we have today, that's one advantage of it. Uh, you you have you have a, just an overwhelming amount amount of technology at your disposal to help you in the education of your children from good solid Christian based organizations. So 
take charge of their education and help debunk the whole idea uh, that you 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 have to go to a secular college to get a secular degree uh, that influences you in the secular humanistic worldview to be able to teach and educate uh, your children. I, if that's the case, I don't know how people got educated prior to the Department of Education. I guess they were all like Andy Stanley says about these Hebrew uh, slave people, uh, right? Early Americans, they were just ignorant, stupid people, and they couldn't understand uh, things. So uh, thank the Lord that, that, hey, the government came to our rescue. Like Ronald Reagan says, when someone says to you, I'm from the government and uh, I'm here to help. That's the most that's the, the most dangerous words in the American language. You need to run uh, from that. But anyway, uh, here's here's a couple of verses to validate again why I think it's biblically inconsistent, is is theologically inconsistent for a person who says they are a Christian or a person who says they believe in God to believe in the uh, idea of evolution. And again, I get it that there there is this idea of um, macro uh, or micro evolution. Uh, and again, you can go listen to Ken Ham and, and, and uh, Kent Hovind uh, for more detailed input on those kinds of things because people do adapt, creatures do adapt to specific aspects of their environment. But the idea of evolution as Darwinian evolution presents it is biblically inconsistent. <clears throat> Uh, or it's inconsistent with biblical theology. And one of the reasons is, if you know, that I'm a young earther is because the Bible says that God created uh, the earth in uh, six days, right? And on the seventh day, he rested. We see that in Genesis chapter one. And we talked about the day-age theory and well, how people look at Yom as it could be ages and not 24-hour day. But when you read the narr- narrative in plain, plain language, you read it, you come away, <clears throat> Most any person who reads Genesis chapter 1 is going to come away with the understanding that God created and each day was a day of creation. A 24-hour day as we understand it, evening and morning were uh, the first day and evening and morning were the second day and so forth and so on. And we went to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 where God gives the Ten Commandments list out the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, and this again, it's in Deuteronomy as well. And just a commercial, if you're in our area and you not don't have a church home, or if you have a church home that it's not feeding you biblically, and not discipling you biblically, uh, well, come to Friendship Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Alabama, where we Go through the Bible verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter, uh, and expository uh, preaching of God's word. And when we get through with Romans in a, in a few weeks, a month or so, we're going to start a series on the Ten Commandments that presumably may take 10 weeks, maybe a little longer, but we're, we're going to start a series on the Ten Commandments and why they are still relevant to us today. And God, in giving the Ten Commandments, he lists the fourth commandment is in verse 8, which is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And he says in verse 9, six days. Now, how do you think these ancient, ignorant Hebrews would understand when God said six days, Andy Stanley? They would understand six 24-hour days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, hey, that's a week, right? 
wonder where we get that concept today in the 21st century. I know those ignorant, uneducated slave Hebrews would not have understood this concept of a seven-day week like we 21st century enlightened people would. But anyway, nevertheless, God if Andy Stanley's going to be consistent, gives them uh, something they can understand, which is a seven-day week. He says on six of those days, now I believe these uneducated uh, slave Hebrews that Andy Stanley calls them had the capacity probably to count to seven, so they would understand that there were six consecutive 24-hour days, okay? They saw the sun coming up in the morning and going down in the evening, right? So they would understand the concept of day and night, I believe. I won't think that would take them off guard. And so God says to them, in that cycle of a day, you shall work six of those, but on the seventh one, you shall rest, right? From all of your, all your labors, verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourn or the sojourner who is with uh, within your gates. And then God gives them a reason why they should not work on the seventh day because God had created this day as a day of rest. And he says, this is why I'm telling you to do this. Verse 11, for in six days, now if you want to be contextually consistent, hermeneutically consistent, you must tie this six days with the six days in verse 9. And so verse 9, he's talking to those Hebrews about six 24-hour days which they shall work on those days. Okay, six of those days in that seven-day week, they should work on those six days, but on the seventh day, they should rest. And so God, being consistent, is saying, for, this is the reason, in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Now, I understand, Andy Stanley, that your view of these uh, slave-minded ignorant Hebrew people is that they have a very limited capacity to understand things. And so I think God broke it down for them here. They could understand six days. They could understand a seven-day week. They see that in their life, the things that happen to correlate with these six days. And God says, you work six days and rest on the seventh, just like I created the, this universe, this world that is before you in six days and rested on the seventh. You see the parallelism there? I, I know, right? I know, Andy. It, it may be difficult for us to understand that these Hebrews could make that connection uh, 
But it seems like God at least understood they can make that connection for them to work six days and rest on the seventh because God created this world, the sea and the earth and everything that is in it in six days and rested on the seventh day. And then it even goes further. He says, therefore, because of this reason that God worked six days and rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, seems to me it's cut and dry that God created this world in six days exactly how he said he did it in Genesis chapter one. And he incurred and he commanded, not encouraged, he commanded the Hebrews in this covenant relationship with them, the Ten Commandments, which binding, uh, I think, on all of humanity, really, and we'll talk about that when we get in that series, binding on them in that relationship, and that he understood uh, in, in the Ten Commandments, he used this as, as an illustration to say, this is why you work six days and rest on the seventh. And then we went on to talk about Paul validated this idea of creation, right? Paul understand a literal Adam was created in the beginning, right? Adam and Eve, and that necessitated the second Adam coming, Jesus Christ, to be incarnated, God himself to be incarnate and to come in the flesh, to live among us and to do the thing that Adam could not do <clears throat> so that we could be redeemed and reconciled to God, Romans chapter five. And then Paul again in Acts chapter 17 uh, prior to his writing Romans chapter 5, validated created the created order again and the narrative of Genesis again in Acts chapter 17. I believe it's in verse 30, 31. I didn't go look it up, but I'm pretty sure it's around that section of Acts chapter 17 where he talks about God creating or making all of humanity from one man and then Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, and we've used this before when it deals with the issue of marriage, the religious leaders come and challenge him on the issue of marriage to try to trip him up and say, hey, is it, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And they're going back to the Mosaic law again. And Jesus says to them, he, he says two things. One, that God, he, go, he ties his answer back to Genesis in the created order. And again, he was there. John chapter one, he is the one who created everything. If you read Genesis, uh, John chapter one and the implication there, but he ties his answer to them about marriage on the fact that God created in the beginning or at the beginning male and female and he instituted marriage. He brought the man and the woman together. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And he goes on to talk about abortion. But he validates the Old Testament narrative in this way because he says to them, have you not read what the scripture says that he, meaning God, created them at the beginning or from the beginning, male and female. So he validates the scriptural narrative of creation and God doing it the way God said he done it in six days. So anyway, hey, 
Andy Stanley, if you are under his influence and you are under the sound of my voice, this is a warning to you that he is on the continued slippery slope. He already tries to unhitch from the Old Testament. He uses this minimalistic idea that everything we need, we, we must base on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in one sense, that is absolutely true preached a sermon about that Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is necessary, right? Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. But how do we know about the resurrection? We know about the resurrection from the scripture. We know about Jesus Christ from the scripture. We know about God's working redemption through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, from the scripture. Not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament scripture as well. So you cannot divorce yourself from scripture and be able to understand properly what God is talking about as it relates to redemptive history. Because God has revealed himself to us in scripture. And it's not our responsibility to try to manipulate people by ignoring the scripture. I get it. He's trying to reach people, but he thinks they have an aversion to scripture. Well, my problem, it's not my responsibility to make them believe scripture. My responsibility, your responsibility, Andy Stanley's responsibility is to share the truth of scripture. And God's responsibility is to cause people's eyes and ears and minds to be open to receive the truth of scripture. That's God's lane. My lane is to share the truth of scripture. And so that's what we ought to do. But hey, I'd say to you, run from Andy Stanley at this point. All right, shifting gears. Let's move on to this issue of transgenderism. And again, it, it, this this is so prevalent in our society uh, at this moment. And and really it's the next, uh, it's the next evolution and to use uh, a term we were just talking about, it's the next evolution in the alphabet mafia's agenda. Uh, I hope I don't need, let me get out of that. My script, my, my computer is acting crazy. But hey, uh, it's the next evolution in the alphabet mafia's agenda. And the same thing that they're doing with transgenderism at this moment was the same thing that was happening uh, with homosexuality and gay marriage um, in uh, in the early, I'm saying the early years. It's been going on for for all of my lifetime and even started before I was ever born, obviously. But there was an asserted attempt to mainstream uh, this ideology and this agenda uh, really I think it started as best I can remember historically this onset in the 60s in a roundabout way okay but in the in the 80s and I, I don't remember the book that came out but in the 80s there was almost a manifesto written about how to normalize this idea of the 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 alphabet mafia's agenda and one of the ways they began to do this was uh, one aspect is jamming and again it, it, to me it, it, it's exactly what it sounds like they begin to put this before us so much that it began to desensitize people's 
minds to the shock and awe of it because at one time just like adultery at one time adultery was a if you know somebody committed adultery and then it became normalized in society to the point now that most people look at it and say no big deal right it's just a part of the human uh nature the same things happening with what happened with homosexuality but they begin to put it in every every bite of entertainment that we consumed it would be it began to be a part of every aspect of in, in entertainment uh, and to the point it became normalized and it was it was even elevated right uh, heterosexuality and and you know that type of relationship took a second second place or second seat or less enlightened role compared to homosexuality and homosexual relationships in entertainment and it began to be pushed on us more and more and more and so that it was always before our eyes and so you just become desensitized to it and it becomes a normal part of life and the same thing is happening with transgenderism today and I have said this before, but I'll give credit to Chad Prather, who said it just a few days ago on uh, uh, the News and Why It Matters with Sarah Gonzalez. But he called, I think, and again, I I didn't go back and look this up, but I think he used the term transfadism or something to that, uh, that effect. Because transgenderism has in some sense become a fad or at least a way that people are getting their social cred if you will in society and one of the reasons i I say that is just because of the uh, the way it has ramped up the amount of people who are coming out if to use language from the homosexual movement who are coming out as transgender uh, that are being impacted by this uh, youth not just adults but youth and children as well and so it has become a way for people to identify socially on social media and get social creds and i believe a lot of these parents who are going along with this it is one of their ways to say hey look at me i fit in with you too give me some social cred pat me on my back see how enlightened i am as i allow my child to be mutilated and i bow down to your social depravity right those are my my words they wouldn't say it that way obviously but it has gone because because gender dysphoria at one time was a mental disability just like um sociologists psychologists at one time saw homosexuality as a mental disability and again i know all that facebook may pull all this down because of the things that i'm saying at this moment but now it is it it, what's happening has is in one sense yes there's some mental issues there but it's more demonic and depravity that's going on right now it is becoming a way for people to fit in and show how enlightened they are right in 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 this and so it is in some ways fad may be too light of a word to use for it because i don't know that it will ever go away it may it may when the next shoe drops you know when the plus in in the alphabet soup when the plus begins to unfold for us which 
mark it down, it is coming, when the plus of, of pedophilia begins to be normalized before our eyes, uh, transgenderism may take the back seat like uh, homosexuality and homosexual relationships has taken in the alphabet mafia's agenda because they always have to be on the cutting edge of the depravity train, right? So when the plus, and they're already trying to normalize pedophilia, right? We, we, you're not supposed to call it pedophilia anymore, and they're not pedophiles. They are, they are minor attracted people uh, now, the language that is being used. So that's the next shoe that's probably going to drop uh, in, in the near future. Because if you're going to be consistent with their uh, thought process, why isn't it okay for that to happen? If love is love and heart, and the heart wants what the heart wants, right? Why is that not the next thing to take place, right? <clears throat> anyway, uh, we're, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about the normalization of this transgender nonsense that is going on before our eyes. And a side and a, and a side rail to that is the third rail of that movement is this whole uh, um, my mind just went into neutral, <laughs> but this whole uh, transvestite, I call them transvestite, the, the men who dress up as women, these drag show events that are going on for all age drag events. All that is is another doorway to bring children into this, <clears throat> this culture and to desensitize and normalize this for children so that they, it will further impact their desire to dabble in this debauchery that's going on and permanently mutilate their their bodies but anyway back to this book because uh this is a demonic thing that is going on in our nation at this moment and woe be to all of those who are uh, propagating this and celebrating this and and celebrating listen that that is that is exactly what's happened i want you to just leave this book uh as best i can tell hadn't come out yet but it it is in the pre-order stage okay so listen to uh, the title of the book is Raising Kids Beyond the Binary. And then the, the, the subtitle to it is Celebrating God's Transgender and Gender Diverse Children. And it's by a person named Jamie, and I will butcher this name, uh, Bruceroff is B-R-U-E-S-E-H-O-F-F. Okay. <clears throat> and so this person is writing this book to help all of us, right, be more enlightened on this issue and help we, you know, Christians who don't understand God's, uh, you know, creative uh, multiplicity uh, as it relates to the genders of people to help us understand, you know, hey, why we're why we're wrong in this and why science is absolutely wrong in this. And so I, I just want to read some of this uh, blurb about this book for you and see the language that is in uh, in this. Uh, it'll give you an idea of where this book is going, okay? And so the byline on, on Amazon, if you go look for this, is Dare to Dream of a Church and a World Transformed by the Bold Celebration. Not not just tolerance anymore, right? You, we got to celebrate this this deal. The bold celebration of transgender and gender diverse 
not adults, not even young adults, not even teenagers, children, right? Children. I have more to say about that in just a moment. But it's, it's, they, the alphabet mafia has never wanted equal rights. To use a phrase from, from, from James, James, Dr. James White, they have always wanted uber rights. They have never wanted you to tolerate. They want you to celebrate and to promote this debauchery and sinfulness that is ever present before us in this movement. And that's what this book is all about. It's trying to get you and I, Christian, who believe in traditional Christian values that we find in Andy Stanley's uh, antiquated uh, book, right? The Bible uh, that he don't like to, to, don't like to celebrate. The Bible that we find in the revealed word of God. They, they want us to understand how wrong we are, okay? And how unenlightened that we are. And they want to help us out. So, he gets, they go on to say, the debate around transgender children rages with some Christians being the loudest voices against, one, we can stop there, the loudest voices against it, period. We ought to be the loudest voices against it, right? Because we understand the sinful debauchery behind it, the devilish, demonic forces behind it, but we also understand the mutilation and devastation it's doing to our children. But get this sentence. The debate, around trans, the debate around transgender children rages with some Christians being the loudest voices against, and here it is, loving and supporting these young people. I want to tell you, how is it loving and supporting, or I ask you, how is it loving and supporting for a person to willfully and, and blatantly support their children ha children having their sex organs cut off of their body as children there's nothing loving and supporting uh, supportive about that that is one of the ultimate acts of child abuse that's going on in our nation and in this world today and do not let people use the battering ram of love to make you feel guilty about saying what you're doing to children is demonic and sinful. We need to be the loudest voices against this. So they go on. Now more than ever, people excuse me, of faith need to be grounded in God's call to love and affirm young people in who God created them to be. Well, I want to tell you what God said about who he created them to be. We just quoted it a, member, a, a moment ago in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, who is the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, right? Holy God and holy man. He said, have you not read who, what he who created them said in the beginning, that he created them male and female. That's what he created them to be, either male or female. And he labeled that in their genome, right? With XX or XY chromosomes. 
So if we want, if we people of faith want to lovingly affirm our young people in who God created them to be, then we will create them in the gender in which God created them at their birth. And he created them either male or female. That's how we love our children. And if they have issues with understanding that, you know what we do? We don't say, okay, let's pump you with hormones that'll change that because you don't understand or don't feel like you understand what's going on with your body in this moment. No, that's not loving them. We don't say, okay, let's go chop off your sexual organs and, and mutilate your body. Because you don't understand how God created you to be. No, we tell them this is how God created you and we help them understand who it is that God created them to be. That's what responsible, loving adults do and especially responsible, loving adults who are Christians. And then they go on in this, uh, in this blurb, raising kids beyond the binary. <clears throat> and again, these are the people that tell us to follow the science when they want to stick a needle in your arm and jab you with a vaccine that has not been vetted scientifically as all other vaccines that have ever come before it have been vetted. And they want to say, follow the science. We are the kings of science. And then they want to ignore the obvious science that is before them genetically. So much so, and I may have said this before in another podcast, so much so that scientists who are atheists like Richard Dawkins says, hey, this is ludicrous. There are only two genders. So anyway, these people raising kids beyond the binary bypasses the sound bites that give readers a vivid picture of who transgender, non-binary, and gender expansive young people are and what they need to thrive. What they need to thrive are loving adults who tell them the truth about, about the binary genders, male and female. This is how God created you. This is who you are. And this is how God intends you to live in light of who it is that he's created you to be. And then it talks about the, uh, apparently they went through this uh, transgender uh, demonic stuff in their own life and raising their children. And so they're going to use their experience to help you understand why you were wrong about this and they were right in, 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 in affirming their kids. Then he goes on to say, grounded in the unequivocal uh, uh, unequivocal truth of God's deep love and limitless creativity. What a blasphemous statement, right? If you read the Bible, God plainly tells us this is how he created human humanity, male and female. And he demonstrates his love by validating that in Christ Jesus and in the formation of marriage and the procreation of the species. And he uses that as an illustration of his love for the church and his sacrifice and dying for the church. All of that is tied up in God's created order from the beginning 
male and female, and from the understanding of marriage as it relates to male and female, a woman and a man for a lifetime, for the purpose of raising godly offspring, for the purpose of illustrating sacrificial love, just as Christ sacrificed himself for his bride, the church. What a blasphemous statement and these people will be held accountable by God for the things that they are saying. So grounded in the unequivocal truth of God's deep love and limitless creativity. And again, I can't get away from this statement. What are they saying? Because here's the here's the dilemma that they are in. A baby pops out, right? In birth or through C-section. The baby comes out and that baby now the term they're using has an assigned gender at birth. How do they know what that gender is? They look at that baby and they see what that gender is. Just like when you turn a little puppy dog over, you say male or female, right? We have no problem saying that with an animal. The same thing with the, with the human species. You look at that baby and you know male, female. So for a person to say that that is not who they are, we're talking about the limitless creativity of God. What they're saying is, hey, God made a mistake in the physical aspect of that person that must be corrected because on the inside, that person doesn't match up with what God created them to be on the outside. You can't have, your, have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Either God created them that way or God made a mistake. And so why in the world do we even want to trust a God who makes mistakes like that? Right? Do you see the ludicrousy of their argument? It says, this book compile, uh, compels readers to move past. And here, you remember a while ago we said they don't want tolerance anymore. It's got to be celebration and acceptance. Listen to what it says. This book encourages people to move past all are welcome. And here's what we're to move to. We're to move to loving and celebrating transgender and gender diverse youth in the brilliance of their uniqueness. You know what the brilliance of their uniqueness is? The brilliance of their uniqueness is how God created them to be, either male or female. That's the brilliance of the creator in creating them uniquely as he designed them to be. That's what we ought to celebrate. God created you as a male. He created you as a man. He created you as a person who is going to lead your family to follow after the precepts and the concepts of God's word. He created you as a woman. He created you uniquely as a woman who is to come alongside of your husband and to help him and support him as he leads his family in the in the truths of God's word and following God in everything that they do. He, he created you uniquely as a woman to have a unique relationship in, in with your children that you uniquely can carry in your womb and give birth to and to raise them in the ad admonition of the Lord. That's what we ought to be celebrating. Not this demonic debauchery that the world is trying to sell us. He goes on, they go on to say that uh, we are to celebrate this brilliance of their uniqueness. The, listen to this. The wisdom of their self-awareness. Now you, if you are a parent, or if you've been around children, there are children that are brilliant. But most children don't even know what they want to be when they grow up professionally. 
and they change every year. They change sometimes every month is what they want to be. And you have children. Hey, I want to be a dinosaur when I grow up. Right? How in the world can we expect someone to use Andy Standy's language from early, earlier who don't have the mature capacity to understand certain aspects of life? How can you call it wisdom when they don't understand who it is that God created them to be? And then you take that misunderstanding that they have and you call it wisdom and you celebrate that misunderstanding and you permanently mutilate, allow your children to be mutilated because of something that they can't comprehend and understand. And it's your responsibility to help them comprehend and understand. Woe unto those. And the joy. Oh, another thing I was going to bring up. I wrote down in, in, in the notes. There's this, and again, I say not to offend anybody, but I probably offended a lot of people if they if they would listen to this. Listen, there there are these libtards that are on Twitter, and one of them is in my feed, and her Twitter handle is JoJo from Jersey, and she is a like a paid person for the liberal ideology to constantly uh, promote their agenda and lambast anybody who would be against that agenda. And she was on there lambasting some conservative from Mississippi because of a law, best I can tell, that is on their books, that's been on the books for how long, who knows how many years, right? Uh, Early, early on that allowed 15-year-old girls to be married off with parental consent. So lambasting these people who would have that such a law on their book to allow uh, these 15-year-old girls to be married. I think she may even put 12-year-old, whatever. But underage children, right? We'd say underage children, girls to be married with parental consent. How dare you? But yet, they want us to think that they have the wisdom. They can't go off and make a decision to be married, right? But they want us to think they have the wisdom to be able to say, hey, you know, I, what I am on the outside is not don't match what I am on the inside. Okay, I, I hear you. I understand that. You're right on it. I didn't catch that. Thank you for enlightening me on that, uh, my underage child, right? Thank you for enlightening me on that. Okay, let's go and have you mutilated to match what you feel like on the inside. But you can't go and get married, okay, right now, because you don't understand and have the capacity to do that. How ludicrous are these people? It goes goes on to say in this blurb, and the joy of their authenticity. Nothing joyous about what's going on to children today when it comes to transgenderism. Nothing joyous at all. It is mutilation and it is it is offering them on the altar of secular, humanistic, demonic depravity. That's what it is. It's nothing joyous about it. And their authenticity, not to continue to beat a dead horse, their authenticity is who God made them to be, male or female. She goes on, this book blurb goes on to say, faith leaders and adults who work with youth will also find the book helpful, a helpful tool for gaining insight and building safer and more welcoming congregation for these children. And I'm here to tell you, you know, they they bring up this thing about uh, transphobia, 
homophobia. You know, we're all we're always always we're always afraid. Uh, and again, I get it. There there are nuances to that definition. That not only does it mean afraid, but it can be mean uh, against or have an aversion to. Well, you dang skippy, I have an aversion to people mutilating children. I have an aversion to them doing that. And I have an aversion to the concept of homosexuality and homosexual sex. But you know why? Because it is an abomination unto the Lord and God that I serve. It is an abomination. It goes, it is contrary to his created order. And it is the ultimate idolatry and thumbing our nose at our at our Lord. So if that's the way you define homophobia and transphobia, then that is exactly what I am. But I'm not scared of them. I don't hate them. I love people and I love people who are having a problem with homosexuality and transgenderism. And I love them enough to tell them the truth about it. That's true biblical love. And I love them enough to say, on a personal level, I will walk alongside of you to help you through this and to help you find who you really are in God and help you find redemption and help you find salvation in Christ. But I love you too much to cater this demonic, depraved, mental illness that is plaguing our society in this day you you are welcome to come to our place of worship at friendship baptist church but don't think that means that we will cater to this sinful debauchery that is going on in our world we will not we will point you to the truth of god's word we will point you to the reality of who it is that god created you to be and we will lovingly walk with you to help you come to the place where you understand your true uniqueness and your true authenticity as the person that god created you to be male or female and then they go on the one of the last things i wanted to say about this book is this book dares to dream of a church and a world transformed by the bold and joyful acceptance and celebration of transgender and gender diverse children and youth. And don't miss this. This is not about adults. This is, this is about children and youth. And why do they think we're so upset about this? It is so absurd. But what do you expect from a, a, a whole community of people who could, couldn't care less that 60 million babies a year are, are mutil are, are, are ripped out of mother's wombs and, and killed these again children need us you are absolutely right they need us they need us to speak truth to error that's what they need us to do and the world needs them the world needs them to understand the truth of who it is that God uniquely created them to be as either male or female. And the world needs you and I, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, Christians, to come alongside of these people to help them understand who it is that God created them to be. And the world needs us to stand up and push back hard against this sinful debauchery that's going on in our nation 
and in this world. All right, one last thing, and we will be done. And this is amazing to me as well, as, a, as an American citizen and as a Christian. What in the world does the FBI have against Catholics? Uh, some of you probably seen the news and you've seen this, this uh, document, this document, you can go find it, this document that was uh, leaked from the FBI having undercover agents to go into Catholic churches and to try to find ways to use the clergy to out these radical uh, people. The, how do they describe it? Radical, ethical, ethically motivated, violent extremists within the Catholic church. And so they're sending in spies in the Catholic church to try to find these radically or ethically motivated, violent extremists within the Catholic church. And how, how are they further defined? They're defined as radical traditionalist Catholics who adhere to radical traditional Catholic theology or ideology. Okay. And so... What did, what do they have against these Catholics? And what is this radical, traditionalist Catholic ideology? I, I get it. I'm not a Catholic, okay? And I know a little bit about Catholic theology. I've studied some of it over the years. And just to be honest about it, I have a great problem with a lot of Catholic theology, okay? Obviously, Protestant uh you know, the five solas, uh, sola scriptura uh, being a primary one, right? That the scripture is sufficient, right? And I have a real problem with the Catholic understanding of salvation and especially with the Eucharist and uh, how that it is that recurring unbloody sacrifice christ is the one for all sacrifice he he died one time for all time there's no reason no need for another sacrifice bloody or unbloody uh so anyway i have a big problem with that and and even with with the idea of calling priest altar christ christus a big problem with those things okay and and, it, it, and, and again to be honest with you it is very hard uh, if you believe in Catholic theology is very hard to understand how you can believe in biblical salvation. But that's not to say that all Catholics are not saved, just like not all Baptists are saved. Okay. There are plenty, you know, the old joke is, you know, when, when Baptists get to heaven, you know, they're going to find out that there are a whole lot more people than Baptists in heaven. Right. I get it. Uh, denomination is, is in, in a sense, man-made, right? And there are going to be a lot of people who are in heaven that are not Baptists. They're not. They're going to be more than Presbyterians in there. They're going to be people from all different denominations, Christian denominations that are there. And the same with Catholic. There are Catholics, I believe, who are saved. They they base their salvation solely on the person Jesus Christ. Okay. And I have. I would consider uh, there. There's a. a person or two that I have that are friends that are Catholic. I would, I would consider them friends and there's some acquaintances that I have that are Catholic. And I'm telling you, honorable, decent human beings. And the ones that I know 
I believe they love the Lord with all of their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength to the best that we can do that here uh, on this earth pre-resurrection. With all that said, you know, Catholics, Catholics are Christian, Christian denomination. And so what is it that these FBI, that the FBI right now has against Catholics and that they have these things against Catholics who are Christians? How long is it before they begin to look at those who are Christian that are non-Catholic? I just wanted to read, I'm not going to read this whole thing to you. You can go find this online in, in plenty of places. But I just wanted to read to you their definition of uh, this radical, traditionalist, Catholic ideology, okay? And so they say that this, this RTC, as they call it, the radical, traditionalist, Catholic ideology, typically is characterized by the rejection of the Second Vatican Council, 1962-1965. And again, I'm not an expert on that. There were some, some things that were changed, I guess you can say, in, uh, to help the, the Catholic Church in the, the 20th century, century uh, and the things that we're dealing with in the world, uh, more, more open as it relates to non-Catholic uh, religions, even Protestants in, in that way. So that's one aspect of it. They, they don't agree with some of the things that happened in the Second Vatican Council, which lasted from 1962 to 1965. And they don't necessarily agree with the popes that were uh, elected during that time. Pope uh, John Paul II, I guess, would have been one of the first one. And then Pope Francis. Now, i gotta, I got to tell you, I don't know how any Catholic today uh, who believes in Catholic doctrine, Catholic theology, who believes in the Bible. I don't know how any Catholic today could be uh, happy with uh, a lot of the things that Pope Francis says today, and that would be an interesting conversation to have with Catholics. I get it. He, he, the only time he's really infallible, I guess, is when he's, uh, what's the term, ex-cathedral, I think, when he's sitting on, uh, again, uh, on his... Uh, fancy chair with his fancy garb on uh and he makes a proclamation uh, in that way he he's infallible all the rest of the time he's not infallible right but so i get it that may be the argument behind that but i don't know how you can how you can be happy with pope francis if you are a catholic who believes in god's word uh with some of the things that he said and done so anyway they may not be happy with with pope francis but, but here's the kicker. It says their frequent adherence to, and I don't know where they get this aspect of it, anti-Semitic. Uh, you know, everything's anti-Semitic today. If you say anything negative about uh, Israel or, or in that way, then, then that's anti-Semitic, I guess. Um, and, and again, you know, I get it. Israel's an ally of ours. We as Christians understand Israel. The nation was God's chosen people. Uh, and, you know, depending on your eschatology, you you would have this idea that there's going to be an, another in, in gathering of Jewish believers into Christianity, into the Messiah, Jesus Christ, in the end time. But one of, the, one of the amazing things about that eschatology is we always uh, tie it to this, this uh, uh, geographic location over in Israel. Uh, you know where the largest, uh, largest gathering of, Israel, of, of Jews are in the world today? Well, that would be in America. So uh, that, that could happen 
just based on the Jewish population in America. The second largest Jewish population is obviously in Israel. But anyway, uh, so I guess if you if you uh, think that Israel doesn't always do things right or, uh, you know, maybe if you say that the Jews were responsible for Jesus being crucified, because the Bible says, hey, it was the Jewish leaders who were rallying up the crowd to say crucify him. I, I don't know what they understand as anti-Semitic, but apparently these radical traditionalist Catholics uh, are at times anti-Semitic. But here, here's the three I think that drive this, that drive this rational, tradi- traditional Catholic ideology. And if you want my personal opinion, these are the three. These are the three things that drive this ideology, and it's really the three things. And the last one that they list here is the umbrella, which ca- encapsulates all of these. Okay, and so this is why I say, hey, this is not just about Catholics right now. This is about all people who would follow into this. They're just using Catholics right now because obviously that that is the largest body of Christians in the world, right? The 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 the, the Catholic Church. Um, and so if they can target that, then it won't be long before they, they come after all Christians, but here's the three, right? This, this is the three. I think anti-Semitic is just, is just thrown in there. Okay. If you want my opinion, this, that's just thrown in there to add to, uh, this, but here's the three that really they're looking at anti-immigrant. In other words, you believe that we ought to have, as a sovereign nation, we ought to have sovereign borders, right? That there ought to be a process that people use to enter into this country. They, do, they ought not just be able to walk across the border however they want to, okay? Uh, so if you, if you don't, if you don't, uh, if you don't agree with the leftist ideology that, Hey, just come on in everybody, you know, we, we, we ought to be one big happy family. Then that, Hey, that you're radical traditional Catholic. Okay, and we're we're looking at you. Uh, the second thing is anti LGBTQ. They don't even go so far as to add all the other letters and numbers and the plus symbol at the end. So how bigoted of them not even to use the proper acronym for the movement, right? Uh, they just as well say the Alphabet Mafia, had they not? But hey, anti LGBTQ. So hey. If you don't agree with this leftist ideology uh, and the LGBTQIA2 plus movement, then you are follow radical, traditional Catholic ideology. Okay? Hey, two out of these three, I am a rational, <laughs> traditional Catholic, I guess, because I, so far on these two, I am I I don't agree with open borders. I think we have a process that ought to be uh, managed and honored in this country for people to come over as immigrants. I'm not against people immig- immigrating to this country. I am against them doing it illegally. And as you have just heard, this transgenderism and LGBT alphabet mafia ideology, uh, you could say I'm against that. And then the last one is white supremacy. Okay. Now we've done a whole thing on, on Christian nationalism, which included some uh, concepts talking about white supremacy uh, on our podcast. And you can find it on Facebook live. If it's still there, uh, YouTube, maybe rumble. I don't know if I put those up on those at that point, but I know it's on the podcast. So go find RK ministries and you can hear my, my spiel on Christian nationalism, which included the idea of white supremacy. And Hey, guess what? If you believe in these last two, 
if you're against open borders and you're against uh, the LGBTQIA+, then guess what? You'll be labeled a white supremacist. <clears throat> so, uh, sounds like the FBI has a problem not only with Catholics, but anybody who would just about call themselves a conservative so look hey they're after the catholics so they're probably coming after you uh and so you better keep your eyes open uh for that and, and it's amazing to me like somebody else said i heard i don't know if it's on the radio or where but <clears throat> this catholic president is the least catholic person in all of creation and it's under his leadership that these things are happening this supposedly christian president right all of this debaucherous sinful demonic ideology is being propagated and we're being called to celebrate all of this stuff how tragic it is May the Lord have mercy on their souls because they will stand before God in judgment for this. In my prayer, I forget, I can't forget who, I can't remember who said, who said this. So I, I wish I could remember who said it. It was not original with me, but our prayer, my prayer has become this. And I go to some of those, you know, we're always, we're always challenged by those uh, imprecatory Psalms uh, by David in, in, in the Psalms, uh, you know, where he's calling down God's thunder on, on his enemy and on, on the evil and the un, unrighteous in the world. Uh, and, and somebody, uh, it may have been Bodie Bauckham who said this, that here's where our prayer needs to be. One, that either heart, either God changes their hearts, these evil, wicked people who are propagating this de demonic debauchery, either God changes their hearts or God stops their hearts. In other words, God deals with them one way or another. He redeems them or he takes them on out of this world if they are, if they are bent on uh, continuing this, the propagation of this evil. So we, we have to leave it in God's hands. And again, the encouraging thing is to know, just like we're learning on, uh, in Revelation on, on Sunday nights, that God's in control. It may look chaotic. It may look dis, like everything is out of control in this world. But you can be assured that God is in control and none of this is taking God by surprise. And as a matter of fact, some of what ha is happening according to God's word in Romans chapter one is God's judgment on uh, a nation and on a people by turning them over to a debased mind. And God has called you and I as believers to stand firm, to not waver, to not be moved, to share truth and to speak truth to error. And for us, uh, to patiently endure, knowing that he is victorious even now. Well, that's my spiel, probably way too long uh, today, but we got to continue to push back on this in a, in a national, broad-spectrum way, and we've got to continue to, uh, wherever we have the influence, wherever we have the relationship, to come alongside of people who are battling with these issues and point them in a loving way to the truth of God's word. We must, we must, we must continue to be engaged. And I, and I challenge you to do that if you're not engaged uh, in a real meaningful, practical way. Uh, do the best you can in the context that God's given you and the influence that God's given you to be engaged and to stand firm on this truth. Well, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you.